Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We are here with our good buddy, Jerry. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing great. And all three of us were at PAX Unplugged this past weekend, and we got to play a ton of stuff, both uh, amongst ourselves and playing demos and things. So we're just going to go through it all and kind of tell you how the experience was. Yes, and they were some cooperative games and some not cooperative games. Most of my first day was cooperative, but after that, it went pretty competitive. So I think in general, we're going to start off cooperative and kind of move on from there, if I had to guess. Yeah, that's actually pretty true for me, too. I played even uh, some games I played that have solo modes. I still often played the competitive version. What? You weren't at a convention full of people playing solo games? What? Yeah, you know, actually, like one of the only ones I saw was uh, Gloomhaven Buttons and Bugs. They would like have one demo person with like three people parallel sitting next to each other playing separate solo games. So there is a way to make it happen, but it's a little bit awkward at a convention. Well, we played that one too, right? So we will be covering that before the end of the show. That's right. But before we get to uh, what we saw at the show, let's thank our Patreon supporters. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. You get early access to our videos and exclusive videos you can't see anywhere else. Top 10 lists, other discussions, lots of things. At this point, we have 50 or 60 plus uh, videos there you cannot see anywhere else. So if you are so inclined, go support our Patreon or you can just uh, like or subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel, leave a review for us. That helps a lot with visibility. Join the Discord and say hi. Any way to join our little co-op journey here. Yes, and come visit us when we are at conventions as well. So at this point, we're pretty much regulars at PAX and Gen Con. I mean, I don't know if you're going to be going to Gen Con every year, Mike. Oh, definitely. I think that might be my one Gen Con. I'm, I'm happy with PAX and probably nothing else just to stay with my family more. All right, but at least PAX will be our kind of home convention then, I guess, where we will hopefully see you. And that'll make Jerry happy as we'll cover at the end. Jerry loves PAX. It's his oh, favorite yes. convention. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there was there were some chinks in the armor, but we'll talk about that too. But, you know, I, I realized I did my old Patreon spiel and didn't actually thank our patrons. So this uh, week I'm thanking Roper, Candle, and Sarah Trin. So Roper, Carol, Candle, and Sarah Thanks for your support, and thanks to all our amazing patrons for helping us out. Yes, thank you all. We appreciate it. All right, so let's get into day one. And the first game we played, that's not a hat. Oh, gosh, you know, I forgot to even put this on my list. We did play this. (laughs) Played it twice. Yeah, so this is one that I learned at the Level Up convention that I went to. And it's now one of my favorite kind of like light casual games. Uh, If you didn't hear me talk about it before, the basic idea is that each player has a card in front of them depicting an object. And then another extra card is like kind of added to the mix. And the cards are eventually flipped down and they're getting passed around. And you're saying what you think is on the card when you pass it to somebody. And then they either thank you for that object or they claim that you gave them a different object. Like you said it was a clock, but they don't think it's a clock. And in that case, because you've all forgotten like what the card was, you flip it over And if uh, the challenger is correct and that's not what they said they were giving them, then that's a negative point for the person who gave them the card. Otherwise, it's a negative point for the challenger. You go till somebody gets three negative cards and then you see who has the fewest. That's really it. So it's just it's just a goofy game. game. Yeah, it's it's a memory game in that 
it's fun because no one's really expected to memorize anything and you generally are not able to. Jerry, I know, had a great time with it, uh, you know, at like <laughs> 7 or 8 a.m. with no coffee in him. Yeah, in, in my defense, we left rather early to get up to the convention and I had not yet had coffee. So this was not the game for me. Uh, I'm not I mean, it's a fine game. I'm I'm sure many people would like it. It's it's not my type of game. I mean, it 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 surprises me, though, because it is basically a straight memory game. I know you say people can't memorize it, but some people were way better, Mike than the rest of us at memorizing what was on the cards. So there's clearly a huge memory element. I mean, I well, I guess what I'll say is yes, but well, no. So here's the thing. This is a game that I, like, maybe this is why I didn't put it on my list. I barely even call it a game. Like, yes, technically there is a winner and a loser, but this is something I play for the experience. And, you know, it's kind of like uh telestrations. It's kind of more fun when people are messing up because <laughs> it's more entertaining sure. for everybody. This is not something I would at all recommend for people's game nights, but it's a great like little filler. And, you know, if you, if you just kind of take it in stride and let yourself have fun with it, it can be a lot of good fun. But, you know, it's and it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. I don't know if you're trying to play it to win, uh, you're doing it wrong because yeah. it would require way <laughs> too much focus. Right. For what it's supposed to be, uh, which is a light party game. But if you don't focus on the on the objects and try to rem- remember it. It's really just, you know, random laugh because you have no idea what people are passing each other. So, uh, that's, that's how I was playing it because there was no way I was focusing at that time. At that point. Well, I know that's how you were playing it. Cause I was clearly li- listing objects from previous rounds that we hadn't even seen in this round. As long as we had seen them that day, I was listing that object when I didn't remember what it was. It's kind of a bluffing game in that way where you just have to act confident. Like, you know what you're passing, even though like well over half the time, I had no idea what I was passing. Yeah. So that's uh, that's not a hat. I love it, but, you know, I don't think I'm going to play with Peter and Jerry again, necessarily. (laughs) But, for you know, for a counter example, I played it at a game night with seven people at my house recently. And I think two or three of them ordered it on Amazon, like, as we were playing the game, because they liked it so much. So, certainly at at the right game night with the right group of people, it can be a blast. Yeah, you must have spiked their drink or something. That that probably helped. Well, yes, we weren't drinking at 8.30 in the morning or 9.30 in the morning, whatever time it was. So, yeah, that, that certainly would help the hilarity if you had even more reasons not to remember a card. At least you'd have an excuse then, right? Yeah, but I think, uh, so So that was, uh, we for, if we didn't say this already, we drove in Friday morning very early. So I think that was the only game we all played together for most of Friday. And then didn't you and Jerry go and play the one I suggested to you, the Cthulhu game? Yep, we played uh, Call of Cthulhu Orient Express, which was number one on BGG Hotness for quite a while. Back when they announced it, it was right around Gen Con time and you had played it at Gen Con and uh, yeah, Jerry and I played it. So Jerry, why don't you cover this one? Yeah. So the game is horror on the Orient Express. Um, For those that don't know, uh, Call of Cthulhu is a Lovecraftian horror role-playing game and it's probably its most famous campaign that they sell is called horror on the Orient Express. It's a massive sprawling campaign that, that lasts quite a long time. And this is a, board game that's i'd say loosely based on on the ideas behind that campaign it's a cooperative game you are all on the orient express and each character has its own special uh, their own special ability and what you're trying to do is discover the identities of some non-player characters on the train while at the same time preventing monsters and vampires from injuring other passengers on the on the train 
And you have to do that before the train reaches the end of the track and gets uh, so you can escape the dreamlands, which is uh, the the concept behind the, the whole game. So what do you think about it, Peter? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of clever how they made the passengers randomized. So each passenger gets items and there's some of them that have like a pinkish background and some have a whitish background. So if any passenger has like four pinkish tiles, then they are a cultist. If they have this one special tile, this red hat, they are definitely a cultist. And then there's like another combination of things. If they're going to a certain location and with a, the, their ticket card and they have a certain item or something like that, then they're also a cultist. So it's really randomized at the beginning, how many cultists you have, and you have to discover the cultists. So not only do you have to get to the end of this track, which gets harder and harder, it definitely, the one thing I think it did well is accelerate as you go along. There's not as many threats, but as you're revealing locations, you're also revealing more threats as you go along in this game. And I think the designers are very proud of how hard the game is to beat. Uh, they're definitely bragging about that. I think, Mike, you talked about that last time we talked about this game. There's a lot of interesting mechanics. There's a lot of interesting things you're doing in the game. Overall, though, I thought it was a bit much. There was just a little bit of a lot going on all at the same time it wasn't that complicated or confusing to follow but it's i feel like it'd be easy to miss steps or it's just you do this and then you do this and then you flip this and wait a minute how do i determine who's a cultist again and then like the vampire activates what do we do here like it seemed pretty straightforward i mean it's the kind of game where i'd have to learn it myself and play a full game and that's the other thing i mean that that to me was even the bigger thing actually was not even the complication but how long it took we were playing that thing what two hours plus about two hours and we got about halfway through and we were about halfway through right so yeah that's that's not great (laughs) that's that's a problem um and it was accelerating so i feel like the second half you know sometimes in these games like you're accelerating and getting more stuff i feel like the enemies and the board were just getting more stuff so i feel like the second half may have even been longer than the first half no, I, I thought the second half would have sped up a lot. I mean, my thoughts well, on it were that the mechanics in the game or the mechanisms in the game are are fairly simple, but there's a lot of them, like a lot of things going on. So if you were to play this game, I think you'd need to have somebody who's familiar with the game essentially take the role of game master and be responsible for managing the various steps in the game. Uh, I mean, they could play as well, but I think... It, Somebody would have to be in charge of making sure things didn't get skipped. And that someone is Mike. (laughs) It it, it was a bit long and we played halfway through and there were other people waiting to demo. So, you know, we called it at that point, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good and the mechanisms were fun and what we were doing was fun. Uh, And I was definitely enjoying what we were doing, but I came away thinking, wow, this is complicated. And not and like I said, not from the individual mechanisms. They, they they aren't complicated. It's just there's so much stuff you have to remember that's going on, and you have to keep track of. It, it, and I mean, the board state shows you what's going on, but you have to mentally be able to say, okay, well, we got to worry about the passengers here. We got to worry about the train here. You know where it is at speed. Uh, the number of tokens we have left before we lose. What's coming out as far as the uh, end of turn events. You just got to keep track of an awful lot of stuff uh, going on, which makes it interesting because it's very difficult to do that. But for first play, if we didn't have somebody demoing it to us, I can't imagine somebody learning this cold uh, from the rule book, like, you know, bringing it home one day or when they kickstarted, getting it and kicked uh, from Kickstarter and then 
you know, unboxing it and sitting down with some friends to play it that evening. I, I don't see that happening. Well, and I did like the unique special characters that were in the game, which is good. We love unique player powers, things like that. But, you know, learning them was another step, right? Like my first action, I just did something. And then I kind of figured out what that meant later. And as the game goes on, I was learning my character more and more. So I guess that's where the game would have accelerated because I just, I knew what I was doing more and more as the game was going on. Cause we just kind of started also, which is, you know, it's good for playing, but not necessarily good for learning what's going on in the game. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't think, I know what I was doing was fun. Like I was enjoying everything I was doing, but Again, the biggest thing for me was the length. Yeah, and the the core deduction mechanic where you're trying to figure out who's a cultist and who's not was was very fun as well. I mean, and I'd say it's kind of like deduction. You're not, you yeah, know, I was about to Sherlock say. Holmes stuff. <laughs> no, but it, there is some deduction involved in it, and it's I, I like I said, you know, I had a great time playing it, and I'd certainly be up for playing it again, especially when it actually comes out in a full production version. But yeah, it's long. <laughs> so mike your thoughts i mean because i know it was like your game of gen con right yeah it's one of my top ones uh so i was playing uh, directly with adam who's uh i think the main designer and yes you're right that he kind of revels in difficulty i think he was a co-designer on frostpunk if i remember right which is a notoriously difficult game <laughs> yes he's it is. the main designer for the nemesis series which is crazy difficult he designed this war of mine which is crazy difficult so he, he certainly has a uh <laughs> a like lane that he designs within but no, i, I love this one and yeah I, I didn't have quite the same experience as y'all i mean i was pretty much playing solo like he wasn't even really controlling a character he just kind of taught me the game and then i went and by the second turn i was running everything myself and i didn't have any trouble keeping track of everything like honestly he just kind of sat and watched at that point he wasn't really like having to remind me of almost anything but i at the same time i fully agree it's got a ton of stuff going on like i i, I love it all because it's all very thematic and like, it's kind of crazy and fun, but it's certainly going to be a big, like I would compare it to something like an Eldritch Horror or an Arkham Horror second edition with some expansions put in, but that's the base game. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. With like, the expansions. I yeah, agree. exactly. I, I like, think Eldritch is a little lighter for sure. But for yeah, sure. you add some expansions and yeah, there's just like one or two extra mechanics. You're like, yeah, that could have been an expansion. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. the components, even for the prototype were very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure what you play with was way better than what I played with. They were like super rough handmade things when I played it. But either way, I'm I'm very excited for it. But I, I don't disagree with anything you said, except that it certainly was not that complex or not that long for me playing solo with a designer right there and answer questions, which is clearly a pretty optimal way to play compared to like at a con with people waiting. Well, it would have gone much easier for me if we hadn't played That's Not a Hat a couple times first. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and, and we did to be fair we also played three players for a first time versus solo makes a huge difference you know it might just be one of those games that's better at lower player counts as well just so it's not so long between your turn and things like that sure. because it was definitely some downtime with three players as well yeah depending on what your group wants some people like to play ti4 you know twilight imperium fourth edition for six hours so they might think this game is short yes yes how do you raise your hand on a podcast you can raise your hand right now. What do you we, want? We, we all see you, Jerry. We see you. No, name. I was just, I was acknowledging that he likes a person that would like Twilight and Twilight Imperium. <laughs> exactly. I got it. <laughs> oh, I did. I did not. Yeah, that, that would, that would, that would, that's not a hat. Yep. <laughs> so what else did right, you Mike, all, oh, what, you well, what were you doing while we were playing that? Yeah. So 
I I did something a little different than what I did last year at PAX and what I did uh, this year at Gen Con. In the past, I've just kind of scheduled meetings with publishers and they would like just tell me about games. And I found that was less fun for me as time went on. Nothing against the publishers. They're always lovely to talk to. And also kind of less useful afterwards. Because I'd be like, hey, they told me this stuff and now I'm telling you this stuff. And I'd just be like kind of a mouthpiece. So I actually like right. all, the only things I scheduled this time were actual demos. So every publisher I went to, I played a game. If they didn't have a game to play, then I didn't go to them, <laughs> basically. So on Friday, I was hanging out a ton with Jeremy Howard from Amber's Meeple. He was kind of like my most common opponent or cooperator. Let's see. I'm trying to remember which ones were which day. Uh, so I played Sleeping Gods Distant Skies, which is the follow up to the original Sleeping Gods. This one, I only played a very short demo and the person didn't know the rules, but uh, I did get a review copy from uh, Ryan Lockett uh, later at the convention, but I did not get a chance to play it yet. I've just packed it, unpacked it at home. It's definitely the next game on my table. But man, oh man, I liked a lot of parts of Sleeping Gods and then I was kind of annoyed by other ones. And apparently a lot of people were too, or Ryan just kind of figured it out on his own because they basically fixed every single major problem I had with the game. Oh, that's awesome. Like, do you guys remember any of the problems? I, I can tell you whether they fixed them or not. <laughs> a million items? Wasn't that the biggest one? Yep. So now, uh, so yeah, you used to have a giant, by, by the end of a campaign, you'd have like 50, 60 cards and they're supposed to be like sitting on the table and you can put like tokens on them to use them and then take the tokens away to like unexhaust them. You still get a bunch of items, but now you play them into a deck, into a discard deck. And then uh, there's a mechanic to get them back in your hand, but they are like single use. There's no tokens to track. So I guess, you know, solo mode, you could still have, like, when you rest 30 cards in your hand. But at least, like, they don't have to be on the table, like, kind of being annoying and with tokens all over the place. So it's not, like, a 100% fixed, but I'd say that's pretty much fixed. Yeah, I really like the game, but I think our, uh, my issues were the same as yours, Mike. And it was the items and just the number of characters. Like, I think you had to control, like, nine characters. Yep, it's nine, and now it's down to five. And they're simpler. And here, I'll just name off a few other things that I know annoyed me, at least, for Sleeping Gods. Uh, in Sleeping Gods, you could equip these ability cards to your characters to kind of level them up. But at multiple points during the game, they would just erase them, <laughs> like for no good thematic reason, just I guess for balance reasons. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. And now if you level up your character, they stay leveled up unless you want to replace it with something else. That seems good. Yeah, there's only five characters instead of nine. There's none of like the, I don't know if y'all remember this, but you used to have to like pick which station you were going to on the, the ship. And it yeah. would like give you like random things to do. And then, like, it would take a really long time to travel sometimes. Like, you'd have to do a skill test and potentially, like, damage the ch- ship every time you travel. Now you just get, like, five time actions a turn. You can travel for an action. You can investigate for two actions. And it's a super simple. You just, like, walk around. No skill check needed. I want to go over there. Boop, boop, boop. In a single turn, I can get over there and investigate it. And you also have an uh, airplane for fast travel. So you can, like, walk your way across the world. But you can also just fly right to a totally different section that you know you need to go back to. So, yeah, they, like, drastically, at least from what I've seen so far, again, I haven't played much yet, but they drastically cut down, like, the grind and the downtime and the fiddliness and the token management. But they kept the great combat system, except now it's got combat cards that are kind of a bit more dynamic instead of just the same stuff every time. And they kept the same, like, narrative structure. They kept pretty much the same skill check. So, yeah, I, it, it seems like a 100% upgrade for me. As long as the story is good, I expect it to be one of my top games once I play it. Well, that's good to hear because my general problem with Red Raven Games, which is Ryan Lockett's company, is that a lot of the time it seems like 
if it's competitive, uh, what you need to do to win is not the fun part of the game. And if it's cooperative, some of the stuff that you have to do is not the fun part of the game. Like the fun part of the game for me, at least with Sleeping Gods, was like the narrative and the decision making and the combat. But it seems like it was interspersed with an awful lot of maintenance and, you know, like you said, with some of the ship actions and things like that. So uh, it sounds like this might be an improvement all around. Yeah, I'm very, very excited. Like, I'm going to play it. I'm going to do a playthrough on the channel next week. I'm going to try to get a review in the next two weeks because I won it on my top games of the year list. And apropos of nothing, again, I haven't actually played <laughs> more than like 20 minutes with it, but I kind of think it might be in my top 10 once I actually get it to the table. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I'm like, I'm, I'm super excited because I like his worlds. I like his art. I like a lot of stuff he does, but the gameplay has almost always fallen short for me in his games, like one aspect or another. Like there's, there's always good parts of it, but then there's always something that feels like it's missing or too much or not enough development or whatever. So I, I like the fact that he's refining one of his older systems and hopefully making it to that nice tight balance that I feel like is missing in a lot of his stuff. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I played like six other games on Friday, by the way. So <laughs> I won't talk as long about them, but do y'all want to jump in with another thing you played? Well, I think some of them are stuff that I played, so I can even jump in on what you're talking about for some of them. Like, I know we played Rove together, and I think the only other thing you probably played before that was the buttons and... No, dude. First of all, we played Rove on Saturday. Second of all, I played like seven other games on Friday. I played a lot of demos. <laughs> all right. We did not play a lot of other games on Friday. Wait. Was Rove really Saturday? I played no other board games on, on Friday. I well, Peter, I know a big game. one that you played on Friday, um, if you want to jump into it, and that's Elder Scrolls. I did not play, so I had a seat at a demo with Liz Davidson and some other uh, people. Uh, this is Elder the Chip Theory Games Elder Scrolls that I also covered at Gen Con. But since I had played it at Gen Con and Peter hadn't, I gave up my seat to Peter. So do you want to talk about uh, Elder Scrolls and how it compares to Too Many Bones a bit? Sure. My pictures for Elder Scrolls are definitely after rove and the other game oh i just took pictures of rove that's right uh we did play another game together before that though but we could talk elder scrolls now we played that um rock manor games spaceship game before oh, wait that. a second you know what you're right we did play rove i was mistaking the pictures i'm sorry rove was a friday game my fault yeah i was like i got my pictures in order i'm pretty sure like i got that's okay that's all right we could go straight to elder scrolls which is the end of my day on friday or at least the end of my convention day I, I basically stayed there till the end. But uh, yeah, so Elder Scrolls is based on, obviously, a video game, Elder Scrolls. But the big thing about it is it's it's mostly based on the Too Many Bones system. Like, I don't think they would deny that to any <laughs> degree. It's very Too Many Bones-like. But it is kind of like Too Many Bones 2.0. And not in a way that they made it more complicated. They just gave it more variety. I think they took a lot... like. They took a lot of lessons from things people liked, things people didn't like from Too Many Bones, and it's, it's kind of an upgrade in almost every way for me. The big thing is you get to kind of build your character however you want to. You get new skills, which are basically the specialty dice that you had in Too Many Bones, but you could build your characters with like different skill sets so you could have like the defensive specialty dice or the two-handed weapon specialty dice or whatever and then you can add some of those to your character and then you could even several have several characters choose the same special abilities but then you're also sharing that limited pool of dice as well so it's better to differentiate your crew 
But um, yeah, no, no, it was neat because it, it solves one of my problems for complexity with the game, which is when you look at your character board and you've got like 50 things staring back at you in the face with too many bones. And it's like, I don't even know where to start here. Here, you just like two-handed sword seems cool. I'll do that. And you grab a two-handed sword card and then you can either choose to get more dice than that or pick a different thing that sounds cool to you. Oh, I'm going to use two-handed swords with a shield this time because I'm an idiot, right? Like, Like you can pick multiple things to do. You know, some of them obviously combo together very well. And some of them, I guess, wouldn't combo together as well. Like I said, like two-handed weapons and a shield. It, it solves a little bit of that complexity for me because you're really just figuring out, all right, do I want, what cool thing do I want to add to my character here? And then you add it. Like some things are obvious, like you're a ranger or a, you know, an archer, you take the bow special ability, right? So like, but you don't have to, I could be a ranger with a two-handed sword or uh, archer with a two-handed sword or whatever. Now my skills aren't going to synergize that way, but yeah, I, so you get a little bit of variety there, but again, the part I liked is the easing into the system where you're basically just leveling one thing up or choosing one skill and you don't have to worry about how you're going to pair it up down the line. You don't have to worry about looking at all these hundreds of things. You literally get a card that goes in front of you that tells you what the dice that you've got do. So you're not looking it up on like a hundred different places or this huge menu board of like skills. And it's like, wait, is that on the front? Is that on the back? All that stuff. So what you're doing has been simplified. And so for me, that was the biggest upgrade. But just going to the enemy side of things, the enemies felt very similar in their complexity to too many bones. I, I, I guess one of the upgrades is the one in the five chips are on opposite sides from each other. So you don't have to worry about like 50 different stacks of chips, like in the tens and twenties are on opposite sides of each other. So you just pull a chip out. If it's supposed to be a 20, you put it on 20 side. If it's supposed to be a 10, you put it on 10 side. So I guess it gives you more variety and the less chips. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. Jerry, you didn't see this one, right? I did not. Nope. Yeah, this one was not openly for demo. Chip Theory's still just doing uh, early things because it's still very much in development. Like, it's very far away still. But I think a lot of the mechanics are... I mean, what I saw you doing, Peter, was pretty similar to what I was doing when I played it months and months ago. So I think they got a lot of things locked in, and I think most of it's working well. So yeah, that's uh, Elder Scrolls. Jerry, do you want to throw in one, or should I talk through a few of mine? Uh, Well, the only other game I played Friday was uh, a demo of a role-playing game using a relatively new virtual tabletop called Alchemy. And the thing with Alchemy is it's more focused on uh, theater of the mind. In other words, um, having background images that move and sound effects and things like that to sort of set the mood rather than battle maps and, you know, actions that you click buttons for and things like that. I mean, it has that, but it it seems more focused on uh, the atmosphere. So I played a game of Morkborg, which is this uh, sort of Swedish metal, heavy metal, death metal. Is it death metal? Yeah, I think it's death metal. Anyway, uh, it's it's like, kind of like one of those punk rock zine uh, things from maybe like the 70s and early 80s for death metal. And it is very, very, very dark. Uh, your characters are essentially expected to die and die frequently, and you roll up replacements right there. Uh, it's, it's a pretty simple system. Uh, we, we played that for about two hours, I think. Um, and it was fun. I did enjoy the virtual tabletop, the alchemy VTT, uh, because it did do a good job of setting the mood with, uh, with the music and, uh, in the background images, as well as, uh, using the map and, and 
having it reveal things as we moved along the map. So uh, that was my other gaming experience on Friday. Now, you guys each had your own iPads, I thought I saw, right? Is that true? We each had our own laptops. Uh, They were trying to simulate people playing remotely. We didn't necessarily need to do it that way. Uh, The main, the GM was running the the virtual tabletop and had it up on a screen so people walking by the booth could see we were in the booth playing. But they could see and they even had it set up so that people walking by could uh, stop by, jump in the game and sort of mess with us players by, you know, throwing random things at us or, you know, making us roll additional skill checks, things like that. So that was that was entertaining. Uh, they were trying to do that to you know engage more people walking by and and have them take a look at what was going on in the table. But yeah, we each had our own laptop that had our own character and on which we could do our own roles and things like that. Gotcha. Now is this this is a system as well as like a virtual environment, right? The game itself, like it is this death metal whatever thing right like that is the game it's not like there's like a fantasy universe and a sci-fi universe or whatever well, no, or i, I think it... he's saying it's like a platform you could play any role-playing game on yeah it's a platform where you they have various rule sets like they're working on putting call of cthulhu on it it has dungeon dragons 5e on there already got Mork it Borg is just a it's a separate rpg i think put out by free league or, or at least distributed by free league uh, and they happen to have that system implemented within the Akami virtual tabletop. So the game is separate from the the platform itself. They just have built in the rules, uh, the rule set for that. Got it. All right. So I'll jump in with a, a few more. Kinfire Delve I played, but let's save that for Saturday because then P- Jerry and I played together. Gloomhaven Buttons and Bugs I played, but I think, did both of you try that on Saturday? I, I did not. Okay. Peter did, so we can save that. So here, okay, I'll go to, uh, we played this one Peter had mentioned, Star Driven Gateway which is an upcoming, I mean, at least half a year away before they would even crowdfund it because it's still pretty early. Uh, There's a game from uh, the Maximum Apocalypse people, which is Rock Manor Games. And I got to play a competitive game against Jeremy Howard, like I said, from Man vs. Meeple. It is going to have solo co-op, but it was not ready yet. And Peter watched. And Peter, I think you and I had pretty similar opinions. It's got some cool like shit management with card playing for your crew. And then, like, dice kind of placement for activation and some fun, like, upgrades with your ships and, like, little missions you complete. But it seemed uh, a little unbalanced in, like, the competitive combat and stuff, at least for now. Like, one character could get mobbed by enemies if there were a lot of players activating and rolling uh, before they got their turn. Yep. Anything else you would add to that? No. I mean, it seemed to be mostly there. But, again, it's a prototype, right? Like, that's, that's the stage it was in. But the core mechanisms seem to be in a good place. You know, it it was just a matter of tweaking and balancing some stuff. And, you know, sometimes people, sometimes the game gets there and it's great. And sometimes it doesn't and it's not. So I think it would be too early to pass any like full judgments on it. Oh, 100%. Definitely still in prototype form. The one thing I'll say, I guess, from the company themselves is they did a great job of rebalancing Maximum Apocalypse, but the first one wasn't quite there so hopefully they do like hopefully they've learned their lessons from the beginning because i feel like there was some of that randomness that was there in early maximum apocalypse and hopefully they learn their lessons from that you know and get it to a good place yeah because they certainly did with the new maximum apocalypse and for anybody looking for a comp i would say at least so far it looks kind of similar to something like the firefly board game or like zaya you know or star wars outer rim like it's one of those like sort of 
do quests, move around the galaxy. I would actually, I would compare it most to Firefly because of the kind of crew cards and them giving you like different abilities and skills as you recruit them. That part seemed like most kind of in line, but certainly a lot faster than Firefly. And then Peter, you had mentioned it. We played Rove together. This is from uh, Adax Game. It's an upcoming one. As far as we can tell, it's a narrative campaign boss battler. This is the team that did, I think it's called Crimson Scales, the fan-made Gloomhaven campaign that's very well regarded. And now this is their own. There's a lot of like Gloomhaven in the iconography and like kind of feel of the game somewhat, but they're definitely doing their very own thing in a lot of the mechanics. So Peter, I like this one a ton. What did you think? Yeah, no, I thought it was really good. Basically, you had dice that you were placing to do your actions. So you rolled four dice and they gave you like certain symbols and you were using them. Now I'm trying to remember because, again, I, I played Gloomhaven buttons and butt uh, whatever. Buttons didn't and butts. Yeah, buttons and butts. Button, buttons and butts. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to play that one. <laughs> Didn't this also have a system where you're like flipping over cards after you activated them? Yes, so it is interesting. I think these were developed in tandem because, you know, Rove was at PAX last year and I don't think Buttons and Bugs was even announced back then. So yeah, both of them had a similar system where when you use an action card on your turn, you flip it, it becomes a different action. Although Rove did it differently and I think in a pretty interesting way in that the cards that flip on the one side... Uh, they gain you the dice that Peter mentioned that are a resource you can spend to like power up your items and things. And then on the opposite side, they gave you something to spend dice on to do a more powerful action. So I, I really like, and by the way, they said that you would always have one card that lets you get dice. So you're never like trapped with no dice. That's right. One card they said on both sides yeah. had the add dice. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. I like the enemy activation because it's very consistent. Like they have the same three actions and they go in a specific order. But then whenever they've done the third action, they roll and they might go back to the third action or go back to the second action. So there's some variation, but a lot of predictability within the variation, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, they're more likely to go back to the first action and then do all three again. But they could jump straight to the second or even third action right away. Yeah, so it was easy to control multiple villains because you weren't like, you know, you just, you knew what was coming. So there was a little bit of predictability in it for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, I would say for better. I, I like when, like, I, I've never loved the Gloomhaven card draw because the, you know, it's a little predictable what kind of stuff a bandit will do, but I like being able to kind of have a bit more strategy and how I resolve my turns. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was fun. Like you had, you had actions not only from your cards, but you also had board actions as well. So, yeah, there was some certainty in your actions as well. But then you have these special powers, which you can upgrade as you went on. I mean, it was a fun board-based boss battler. I don't know a lot about the company, so I'm curious to see where it ends up. I thought it was in a pretty good place now. But, you know, we played one-off fighting mission where we started. And basically, the first thing he let us do was, like, this team-up card superpower action. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get you in with, like, the coolest thing possible. But I'm sure you're not getting that right from the beginning of the game, right? So, like, you know, our, our first experience was, you know, oh, we get to do all these cool things. And then we all got to do our individual cool things. And, and you know, I'm I'm hoping that's the way the game will play when it comes out. But I didn't get a – I got a great feel for how the battle system works. I didn't get a great feel for the game overall, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I have no idea what the campaign system is going to be like in the narrative and any of that. And that can certainly spoil or heighten the experience for these kind of games. So we shall see. 
Right. But the, the board play was super fun. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it, in, in a very positive complimentary way. It reminded me some of uh, Red Dragon Inn with like movement of characters being very important, ways to hurt people on the board, ways to support each other. And like Peter said, the kind of mix of really cool card powers and more basic actions that were always available to you on your board. It reminded me a lot of Red Dragon, uh, Tales from the Red Dragon, I should say, in a super positive way. So I'm very I was about to ask you to clarify whether you meant. Yes, no, I, I, I did actually play. <laughs> Which Red Dragon I'll get to that later. I did actually play the original Red Dragon in the competitive uh, silly game, <laughs> but that's a different one entirely. Yeah, I, I do think this one is probably a step up in complexity from Tales from Red Dragon Inn, maybe even two or three steps up in complexity. But I agree. I liked a lot of what was going on in the board. All right. So anything else uh, for Friday from you guys until we get to Friday night? Because I have one more. I mean, the only other thing I went by and I kind of took a look at, which I thought looked really cool. I know it was something that you were offered to take a look at and didn't because of the price point. But it was a uh, Panic in Gotham or it's called the Arkham Asylum Files Panic in Gotham City, which is like a 3D augmented reality game where you've got this like cardboard city that you're building in front of you. And then you look at it through your phone and like they had helicopters flying around in this augmented reality universe. It's Joker, it's Harlequin. There's like, but you're, it's almost like an escape room, but not, I don't even know how to describe it. You're doing puzzly things like an escape room. So like the first puzzle I saw was you had to find graffiti on the buildings. So you're walking around this 3D model. And that's the other thing they said. It's not a game you're meant to sit down and play. It's like really kinetic you're moving around you're doing things you're really like gonna be involved hands-on almost in this like augmented reality world so you're like looking around and when you see graffiti then you click on a button so it's almost like find the hidden object type thing was that puzzle i didn't see anything beyond that but just the whole thing looked really cool but here's the thing it's what six to eight hours of gameplay is that what they said jerry yep and for 135 dollars, right? Like. It, it's very hard to recommend at that price, but it seemed cool. Like I would like to play it. I would not like to pay $135 for it, but I would like to play it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, yeah, it looked, I watched you play it. It, it. it looked cool, but it was very gimmicky. Like I understand, I'm sure the development cost was quite high and that's why the price point is what it is, but I'm not sure it's delivering that much value. Like if you want to get, I think 90% of that that type of game out of it, you could just play something like Chronicles of Crime, where it's not augmented reality. It's fully you know, in the tablet or phone or whatever you're using, but it's the same basic idea, at least from what I saw. I mean, and I hate to say it, but at that price point, you can start looking at like lower end VR headsets <laughs> if you really want like some kind of augmented experience, like moving around and stuff, you know? Well, you got to go for at least 300, I think, for a VR. So it's oh, a bit really cheaper still? than that. Okay. But yeah, um, if you want a decent one. But I don't think it's quite that bad. But it might be something you have, you know, if you have a friend over and say, hey, come, come look at this. If you happen to have the cardboard buildings and everything set up and they could see it and they'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then you'd move on to, you know, move on with your life and do something else. <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, like, I, I don't... I. Like, I'm interested. I am interested to the point where I would consider paying that price. I'm not going to, right? Because we have a million games. But if I didn't have a million access to a million games, like, this would be something cool to have in your house. Like, it definitely stands out. And it's the kind of thing where 
they they were talking about having DLC down the road and other things. Now, of course, who knows if they ever do that stuff, right? But the bottom line is they can do it. And it's the kind of thing where because you're not ripping anything up, because all the puzzles are kind of in the phone, you could even do it with other people. And that's the difference between that and VR also. VR might be better for like a solo experience. But here... I don't know if you could even do multiplayer or not. The more and more I think about I was, it. I was about to say, no, you're not doing that with multiple people. You're doing it with one player at a time, just like Chronicles of Crime. Like, y- yeah, I don't have I don't have a lot of games um, personally, but uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's a joke. But uh, if I didn't have a lot of games, uh, I would not recommend paying one hundred and thirty five dollars for one that only delivers six to eight hours of gameplay, especially one that I think it would be difficult to engage multiple people at the same time i think you can get a lot better value out of some other games but i mean it was definitely cool what i saw was was cool but and i'd be happy to play it if uh peter wanted to pay 135 dollars for it but it will it won't be me well here's the thing if i bought it i bet all of you would play it and i bet all of you would have a good time with it right oh yeah like and it's not that i'm better because i'd be 135 dollars richer (laughs) <laughs> well yeah i mean my son's into warhammer 40k so 130 dollars doesn't seem too bad now it's like two units of, of guys <laughs> so, like, yeah yeah that that price doesn't seem as bad anymore to me it certainly uh in the past would have felt real bad all right so i have one more game that i played at the convention on friday and i'll just go through it quickly and that was star wars unlimited Yes, dear podcast listeners, this is right up your alley. Our audience at this <laughs> intersect perfectly because this is a 1v1 competitive only CCG from Fantasy Flight. Yes, not LCG, the one where you buy stuff and you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Which, by the way, as much as I enjoyed the gameplay, means I will never buy this game. Like, unless ma- I-, I could see myself buying a corset. So it's, it's a CCG, it- it's got the Lorcana thing where you are placing cards from your hand as resource generators. Very interesting choice there. I liked that a lot. I haven't played Lorcana, but I know that's like another thing they do in there. So that was neat. And then besides that, it kind of felt, uh, I don't know, like Star Realms-ish or Magic the Gathering-ish, and that you're like trying to hit the other person's base and you win by taking away all their life, but you're summoning units and also like playing events. Definitely more streamlined than like Magic the Gathering where that is right now. But it was fun. Uh, a really cool thing is that you each have a leader. In this demo, they have Luke and Darth Vader. And they have like a turn-to-turn power you can use. But then if you get enough resources, they can pop onto the board as the most powerful units in the game and do some crazy stuff. So that was fun, like thematically. They had a lot of your favorite characters in there. So yeah, I, I, I had no problem with the gameplay. And another interesting thing that's kind of unique is that you had like a space and a ground lane. So it's, it almost felt like a lane in like a lane-based combat game in that ground can only interact with ground and space can only interact with space, generally speaking. So I thought it was cool. If it was not a CCG, would I consider buying it? Maybe. My kids are getting more into competitive card games. But as it is, I think it is you know a very specific market that is going to be interested in this game. And I think it is very good for what it is doing. Yeah, I mean, I was very interested in this one. I, not that I you know didn't necessarily buy into, but just to play, I, I actually like very much competitive two-player head-to-head battlers like this, but I was having such a good time playing Elder Scroll that I did not leave and go to the demo that we had scheduled. Uh, Mike went and came back, and we were still, like, it wasn't one battle of Elder Scroll. We played many, many battles. Like, I didn't want to stop playing. I guess that's another good thing about 
in, in the cap of Elder Scroll, like too many bones. I don't know that I would have still been sitting there, right? So yeah, um, and, and instead of playing the game with Peter, I played with one of the designers, and he demolished me. <laughs> Which you know is, is how it should be. It shows that there's skill in the game because uh, we were both just using the starter decks. But uh, yes, I, I got I got handled quite well. Were you Luke or Vader? I was Luke. And then he was like, hey, do you want to switch? And I was like, no, I'm going to be Luke. And then I, I did better in the second game. I actually was very close to killing him. If I yeah, I was focusing on the space battle and doing great. And then he kind of intimidated me in the ground battle. And I and I let him. And I should have just stuck to the space battle. I think I might have been able to squeak out a like kind of blitz win at the end there. Yeah, I got a brief demo of it at uh, Gen Con at the Asmodee event uh, where they, I think that was the first public demo of it. And, you know, it looked like it had some interesting stuff in it, but the last thing I need is a, you know, another Star Wars card game. Yeah, I mean, I, I went into the, uh, what was it, Leading Edge? or Was that the oldest one? I was playing that back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that's a that's old. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But, yeah, last thing I need is another Star Wars card game, especially if it's a CCG. Says the guy who just bought into Flesh and Blood, which is also a CCG competitive. Yeah, product. but I buy the pre-cons, so. Yeah, and again, I would, I would depending on what the price point is, I would 100% be cool playing the demo like not the demo the like the core set the starter set with just the luke invader decks that i played even if i never had any deck construction i think that'd be pretty fun and he said there is like there are enough cards in the core set that you can do some deck construction but i didn't i didn't uh, go too deep into that all right and then uh for friday night i know peter and i played a game jared you just kind of hang out watching us because i remember you got there a little bit later than us well i had to go i did the game sale oh that's right that's where you were because yeah. I was selling a bunch of my old games, so I didn't get to the the other event until late. Yeah, and by the time Jerry got there, Peter and I were playing with uh, Jeremy Howard, playing Kutnahora. Is that what it's called? I think I have no idea. Just I called it Stadia Silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's Kutnahora, and yeah, it's it's the newest uh, competitive only. There's no solo mode for this uh, Euro from Czech Game Edition. And it's like an economic game with like some building placement and like also these uh, double-sided action cards that's sort of like limit your options as the round goes on. I thought it was very good. Like I, I, I like economic euros and I thought to be like way they, they kind of have these like cards and slider system that kind of logically connects population growth and production to model the supply and demand prices of things. I thought that was really neat. But Peter, you're a big fan of Economic Euros. Did you dig that one? I liked a lot about it, but I think the economic portion of it is really good, but it was a little bit abstracted for me to the point where I couldn't quite figure out how what I was doing was affecting prices. Oh, really? I I thought it was 100% thematic and like really clear. Well, Peter had had some whiskey. Well, that is true. Peter was a little bit drunker than me. But yeah, I, I would build a thing that made wood and then wood prices would go down because there was a glut of wood on the market. You know what I mean? Like that's that I don't know, it seemed pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, but that didn't always happen, right? Like, especially at the end there, like a bunch of the prices went up toward the end, even though we were cycling cards. Like, so there was a cycling card aspect to the prices changing, and then there was a sliding a slider aspect. And I believe as you slid cards or as you flip cards like front to back, that meant that the prices were going up on Correct, stuff. Correct, because there you, was more population, more demand. And then he just slid, slid the sliders, there was more supply and the prices went down. It's a bit yeah. more complicated than that because the mining 
deck worked a little bit differently, but that's pretty much it. That's why I thought it was as, as well, but I was focused on the mining deck. Cause that's the other thing. They kind of told you what three resources you were allowed to deal with at the beginning of the game. And there was some board stuff as where, well, where you were buying buildings and, and placing them on your boards. So it was a lot for a first game. I think it's one of those games that I would have loved to play again. You know what I mean? Sure, yes, like, I, I, like a second time I played it, I, I feel like I would have had a better grasp on what was going on. But as it was, and again, maybe it was my state of mind that night. Like I, I had had a few drinks because it was the whiskey well, And night. also, weren't you working off of like three hours of sleep and you had driven us to Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I had to pick up Steve at one in the morning and then we left my house at 6.30. So I had to get up at six. The dogs woke me up at five because my dog just started howling at five in the morning. So, and of course I didn't, I had to pick Steve up from the airport at one, which meant we got home at like one forty-five. Yeah. Well, was, and you were demoing Flame and Fang. Well, that's the other the thing. Time. So, cause I, <laughs> I took some of your turns and. Oh, great. I forgot about that. Yeah. That we, we had some awesome people, uh, Stephanie, I think it was, and her friend from our discord. They wanted to try out our design, uh, Flame and Fang. And we had the prototypes there. So yeah, Peter and I were taking turns. Whenever it was Peter's turn, I'd go over and help the ladies with the game. And whenever it was my turn, Peter would help them. So, yes, it, it was a very scattered experience and it kind of slowed the game down as well. That was totally right. Fun. Well, and I'm sure that they had a, a, a rough experience, too, because I might have re-explained rules that you had already explained or whatever else. So, yeah, it was definitely a disjointed teach for them, although they seem to have a, a fun time and enjoy the game. But I'm sure it was a scattered teach because, again, we didn't have one person. It's like, oh, it's your turn. And I'm like, all right, I was here in the rules teach. But of course, no two people teach the game the same or any game the same, right? So it's like Mike might have, yeah, I don't know. So hopefully we didn't miss anything. Uh, it seemed like they had a really good time playing Flame and Fang. And, and I played Flame and Fang one other time over the weekend. We'll talk about that because uh, that was Saturday night. But yeah, no, I mean, I think had I been able to give 100% attention to the city, what is it, City of Silver, Hootenahora? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think if I had been able to give it more of my attention that evening, because that's the other thing. It's a whiskey night. So it's also a social night where you're, you know, a bunch of people are coming in and you're doing a lot of socializing and talking. So there were a lot of distractions that night. So maybe if it was a more focused first experience, I mean, all this to say, I did enjoy everything I was doing, but I didn't exactly understand how what I was doing translated. I think there are other games where it's more obvious. Like if you look at games like what the sheep one, the um, the Scottish clans. Oh, of Caledonia. Uh, yeah. Clans of Caledonia. Yeah. Yeah, so when you look at Clans of Caledonia, like the the supply and demand is obvious, right? If I buy three things, the the ticker goes up three spaces. If I sell thing, three things, it goes down three spaces, right? It's it's obvious how your actions are impacting everything. Here, because of the way it worked, when you sold one thing or increased demand for one thing, it also messed with the prices of other things as well. And so again, and it was a little bit abstracted, right? Because it says flip three cards over but I don't know what's three cards down. You know what I mean? I couldn't like the visual wasn't there for me. So both in a good and a bad way, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, okay, I'm going to do this and hopefully it'll work out well for me. Uh, <laughs> so for me, it felt a little bit abstracted, but I certainly enjoyed what I was doing in the game. And it wasn't like I had rules questions anywhere through. I just felt like the economic part of it was abstracted from me. 
um, more than I'm used to in games like this. Yeah, whereas I would say the exact opposite, that I think it was more logical and more realistic, but with the cards and the sliders still very streamlined to implement. But, you know, whatever. Either way, we both enjoyed it. So certainly a recommendation if you like uh, economic euros and don't need a solo mode for them. Yeah, and as a non-playing observer, I mean, it made sense to me what was going on, and I thought it was an interesting way to, to model it. And it had some, you know, toy factor to it as well, because it had little deck holders that you use to cycle the cards and, and show what the latest prices were. And the table presence of the game, I think the, the little pieces and everything made it look really cool. Yeah, the, they have the, they have this re-wood, which is like recycled wood mixed with yes. resin, I think. And it, it looked great. Like it was a really neat kind of effect and touch uh, to, for the pieces. Yeah. Now, how fiddly was it to flip the cards? Like it, that was the one thing that it felt like. It's not fiddly at all when Jeremy does it for you. I was about to say, neither of us did it, so it's hard to say. But it didn't seem fiddly to watch it being done. Yeah, I, I guess just after everybody's turn, it's like, all right, flip two more cards back, flip two more cards well, back. Well, but that's right? not and how it works. This... It was when it, when you did certain actions. It wasn't like every turn you had an well, event sure. phase. Like, you know, whoever wasn't, you know, I was resolve- resolving my card and doing something. And while I did it, somebody else flipped two cards. And it just kind of, it seemed to flow pretty smoothly. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then, uh, Peter, I think you stayed up until 3 a.m. playing Gaia Project with Isaac Childress. From, uh, I did. I did. Yes, I did. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, so I didn't know that was going to happen. And in fact, I was being taught another game at the time by the designer of the game. And then Isaac came in, and I'm like, all right, after this game, do you want to play? He's like, well, I can play now. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to be up. And so I bailed on the game I was learning to do our annual game of uh of guy project La- you classic classic peter but anyway yeah we, we know how that goes uh let's let's jump into saturday just to not make this episode go way over time well we're not gonna what, what are you were you gonna say we know how this goes what isaac killed me is that what we're gonna say here? i mean that's yeah, what i was much, gonna say yeah. but also i don't know i i have at least 10 other games to talk about how many do you have and we're already uh, uh not many right. i have like two more all right well then yeah then go ahead talk, talk about guy project yeah, so we played Guy Project, one of my favorite games, one of Isaac's favorite games. There were four of us playing, and it was really close at the end. Um, I ended up coming in third out of four, but the top three of us, I think, were within 10 points of each other. And if you know, that game goes to like 170 or 180. There was somebody else who was quite a bit behind the three of us. Uh, that was me previous year, if you remember. But yeah, Isaac did not win either. Isaac was in second place. So, I mean, it was really really close at the end there and there was one action i could have taken well i was about one action away from taking that would have got me 12 points near the end of the game now it probably would have cost me other points elsewhere so i don't know that that would have won me the game but i mean that's how tight it was it was like one or two actions here or there that that went a different way and it it could have been uh, a different result hey, hey peter yeah uh you know what they call somebody who's within 10 points of the of the winner and not board. the winner uh the loser <laughs> Definitely not the loser. I was definitely not 50 or 60 points behind like I was last year. Like I was right there. I was I was in it. And it's a win it, baby. <laughs> so uh while Peter slept off his uh you know binge of uh, Gaia Project, Jerry and I played a couple games in the morning. Both these were new to you, Jerry, but I've already covered yes. uh well, I've covered one on the channel. I think by the time this airs, the other one will be on the channel. So do you want to talk about uh Twilight Struggle Red Sea first? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we woke up before Peter, which frankly is not hard to do even normally, uh, let alone when he's been playing Gaia Project till 3 a.m. But Mike had brought Twilight Struggle Red Sea. So 
Twilight Struggle Red Sea um, is sort of a very short, well, not very short, but much shorter version of Twilight Struggle that really just focuses on Africa and the Middle East. So uh, if you're not familiar with Twilight Struggle, that's a very well-regarded board game that it, it, it's basically a war game, but it's, it's simulating the Cold War uh, starting from post-World War II up through the late 80s. And it's a game that I really enjoy, but I don't get to play nearly enough. And this is a, instead of a seven turn version that the regular Twilight Struggle is, at least I think it's seven turns, uh, this is a two two turn version that's solely focused on Africa and the Middle East. And yeah, I I, uh, did this, I covered this one with a solo mode, which is new to Twilight Struggle. They have not had a solo mode in the original game, at least not an official one. I thought that was generally great. Uh, You can hear more about that on the YouTube channel soon. And I hadn't really gotten to play it two players, so we played. Jerry kicked my butt. And I had a great time. <laughs> I I like the core Twilight Struggle mechanics. It's, you know, it's card-driven uh, war game and kind of this back-and-forth tug-of-war with really cool, like, event cards. There's a lot of variety in how the game plays out. I focused heavily on Africa. Jerry focused heavily on the Middle East. And it worked out in his favor. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had a great time. Yeah, I really like it. The, the core tension, I think, of the game is uh, some of the cards are events that help your your side and, you know, you're either the Soviet Union or the United States. Some of the cards help the United States. Some of the cards uh, help the Soviet Union. And if you play a card, like you get a hand of cards and you have to pretty much play most of them. If you play a card that helps the other side, that event has to go off. You have to actually do that event. So a lot of it is trying to find ways to mitigate those bad events like time your card play to mitigate those bad things so that they don't overly impact your score while, you know, strategically doing your, your own events to help give yourself points. So plus I won via the mercy rule. So that always makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry got so far ahead that the game just automatically ended early. Yay. Good job, Mike. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think we only ended what, like uh, two turns early. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, no. I don't know. And and to be fair, if the game had gone to the end, I would have caught up quite a bit, but I still would not have won. Absolutely. Yeah, you would. You definitely would have caught up. Uh, and then Jerry and I also played one that I did play new content for. The The base game is available somewhat already, and that is Kinfire Delve. I had a playthrough on the channel of this recently, and I'll have a review coming up soon. This is a currently one to two player card-based, uh, quick-playing sort of dungeon delve game with a little bit of dice rolling as well. It's from the same group, uh, Incredible Dream, I think they're called, that did Kinfire Chronicles that we covered quite a bit. Uh, That's like more of a campaign kind of boss battler game. But uh, yeah, uh, I had played it solo. I played it with Jerry, two player. And then at the convention on Friday, they had the second set, which has two more heroes, two more characters and another boss and a new like set of cards. So that makes the game playable up to four players. So I got to play three player at the convention. I am liking this one more and more each time I play it. My review, if I'd done it a week ago, would have been a little bit more, you know, still good, but not great. And now it's definitely risen in my expectations. I mean, not in my expectations, in my estimations, because I really like how the cooperative play is. And I I love playing it with you, Jerry. I thought it was really fun playing at the convention with other people. But how do you feel about it since this was kind of your first uh, take at it? Well, you know, in, in keeping with the the whole theme of the podcast, uh, this was the only cooperative game I played the entire weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I thought the cooperation was interesting and it had you focused and working as a team to 
try to figure out, you know, where, where you were going to go and what, what challenges you were going to take on. And the, the presentation and the components were absolutely beautiful. Like the cards are, are foiled on the back. Uh, the artwork is, is very nice. And uh, the gameplay was was a lot of fun. So, yeah, definitely recommend it, especially if it's I believe it's what, $20? Yeah, it's it's yeah, that price point, components it's for $20. It, it does yeah, it's a steal at that price. Yeah. And just to kind of talk like, briefly about the, co- the cooperation Jerry was talking about. So basically, you each have your own hand of cards and you're like doing challenges where you have to defeat these enemies by getting your numbers up high enough. And how it works in co-op is one player plays like the main card, but then other players can play up to two boost cards so it, uh, I saw some people comparing it to the the skill checks in Arkham Horror LCG. And yeah, it kind of is similar to that, except you roll these dice that can generally only give you bonuses to your attack or whatever it is. Unlike Arkham, where, you know, it's pretty much all like minus four and a punch in your face and a kick in your butt. <laughs> so yeah, I like it a lot. I'm glad you had a fun time with it too, Jerry. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of the, the Arkham Horror connection when I was playing it, but now that you mention it, yeah, it, it does the cooperation element does seem pretty similar. But yeah, I, I really liked how it was set up, how it played, you know, how what you were doing, like the challenges uh that you were trying to overcome and how those were set up and how they interacted with each other. Yeah, I thought it was it was really good. Yeah, cool. And I, I will say it has a ton of variety because you see very few of the cards. Like for every card you defeat, you're usually shuffling three or four cards off the top of the deck because you have to like get down through the entire deck to fight the boss. So a lot of variety in what you actually encounter, for better or worse. It is a swinging game somewhat, too. I mean, Peter, you haven't talked in a while. What's the first thing uh, you got into on Friday? So Jerry and I tried to go to the convention, but the line was still (laughs) around the corner. Like, it was 1030 or so by the time, like, we started heading over that way. And I literally just turned around and I'm like, all right, let's go back. Yeah, I'll I'll rant about that later. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not waiting in a line to get in the convention. So Saturday was much more packed, I guess, than Friday. I don't know. I didn't spend much time in the hall um, because we went back to our hotel, found a table at the hotel and played a awesome economic game. And this is part of the reason I guess I was less hot on Kutnora because this one was to me a step up as far as gameplay goes and you know even economic games and and all of that so this was nucleum and actually we were done setting up the game and then somebody from our discord came and joined us so we had to flip the board over and reset up which is not a short process the entire game (laughs) but well worth it i'm actually glad we ended up playing it three players i'm still curious to see how it'll play at two players but uh nucleum was a lot of fun it is an economic game in the vein of brass. That's what I would compare it most to. Gameplay is not the same, but the board is you're connecting cities with rails. You're building buildings in those cities, all that very similar to brass. You're transporting resources from these power plants to build your buildings or power your buildings. So again, a lot of that is very similar, but the thing that made it different and the thing that stood out and my favorite part of the game was how the like how you got your income in the game and also how you took your actions, which is at the beginning of the game, you get these tiles, which are like rail size tiles. They became your railroad tracks later on. But there are two things. There's like a top and a bottom action on these tiles and you place them on your board, which as you place them on your board, they gave you more 
economy based on what you unlock. So it's, it's a little bit convoluted, but basically the more of these tiles you play on your board, the more economy you have the ability to get, but you also had to have moved these like economy markers down. So you had to move one for money down. You had to move one to get more workers down. And the other one was for victory points. So the, the, the cutoff is whichever is less, right? So if you hadn't moved your economy markers up, but you played a lot of tiles, then your economy would be cut off at a certain point. Or if you did what I did, which is really move your economy markers up, but you didn't play enough tiles, your economy economy was limited by the tile, the number of tiles you played. Because the other way you could play these tiles is on the board and you could still get the actions out of them. And the actions were super simple. It was like, move your gold economy up one space or move your worker economy up one space or move one of them up and, and lose some money or build in a city or build a power plant or something or, or take a contract or something like that. They were all very simple actions, but each tile had two of them. So when you played it on the board, you had to match colors. So the cities would have different colors associated with them or the rail tracks themselves. Like as you're connecting one city to another, would you know, you have to connect two or three of these things. And on your turn, you're basically taking two actions, either playing these things to the board or playing them to in front of you and taking the actions on them. So I, I don't know. I, it's not a very good description overall, but it was super fun. I loved how you played these tiles to determine your economy, to connect cities, to it was it was a lot going on, but all of it fun. And it really felt like brass to me in a lot of aspects. But for me, I, I might even like it better than brass. I mean, it's one game, oh, right? Sacrilege. So you, Heresy. And you and the other person said the same thing, that you didn't like it as much and you thought it was more convoluted. I don't know. Like, you know me, I like things with simple actions. Like those tiles, you bought more tiles and they all had simple actions on them. Because as you're putting them on the board, you know, you're losing tiles too. You're losing that part of your economy. So it's like three things you had to focus on getting, like money, workers, and these tiles. And each tile had two unique actions. So you might buy certain tiles because of the actions. You might buy them because of the colors or what, I don't know. It was just, it was melting my brain, but in a beautiful way. So I, I just really liked the way the game worked. And I'm super excited to get that one to the table again, too. Yeah, so this was an Essen release. And it's a it's a Euro. And I saw it. And looking at the, the board and the artwork, I was kind of, I don't know, the, the board isn't isn't the most attractive board I've seen. And it was described to me as a cross between brass, like Peter said, and barrage. And I think it definitely has more brass than barrage barrage it's it, it takes some of the actions from barrage like uh the contracts especially uh but it doesn't really have the feel of barrage anyway saying it was a combination of barrage and brass which are two games that i enjoy a lot i pulled the trigger and got it and we broke it out and played it and the, the concept behind the game is what if nuclear power was discovered in the 19th century so there's a combination of powering these buildings that you've built using coal, the old technology, as well as uranium, if you've bought or if you've built uranium mines. And overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really, really good game. Uh, I'm not sure it's as good as brass, but it's close. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing it and I won, which is always a nice bonus. But uh, yes. Yeah. It well, was... that's a, that's a theory, a theme with games that I like. <laughs> I'm not very good at them. I just really enjoy what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I like simple, short actions and like 
it was very clear. Like the iconography was very good. Like you see a picture and you're like, all right, where is that on the board? Okay. That lets me do that action. Right. It's, it's very straightforward with that. Yeah. The, the process of playing the game was, was fairly simple. The complexity was in putting all the pieces together and coming up with some sort of long-term plan and then executing that plan. The, the complexity wasn't in the actions themselves, which is something I like in a Euro. All right, Mike, what were you doing while we were doing that? Oh, oh I fell asleep. What happened? What happened? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Cl- clearly, I like yours. We, too, we right? were having fun. I just wasn't playing that one. Yeah, so uh, so I did get into the convention. I, I didn't uh, wuss out when I saw a line. I just waited for a little bit. And I went, I made a beeline straight for the very back of the convention hall, Brother Ming Games. They are the ones who made Genshin Tarot that Peter and I really enjoyed this year. And that that's, you know, that's a sort of fan game based on Genshin Impact. But they also have, uh, I think, their first original IP kind of game coming out, which is called Re-Act, Re-Semicolon Act. Because, <laughs> um, you know, that, that is not English. And, but, yeah, and... no, it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a 1v1 asymmetric card-based fighting game, which if y'all know me at all, it's like catnip, especially with my kids that I play exceed from level 99 all the dang time. And after liking Genshin Terra so much, I actually uh, late backed this one for, I don't think I went for the deluxe, but I went for like, you know, the main like core set of characters, just I think eight or so. And I, I had literally, <laughs> I tried to play this at PAX a year ago. Couldn't get a table. It was always crowded. I tried to play it at Gen Con this year. Couldn't get a table. Always crowded. I tried to play it on Friday at PAX, couldn't get a table. So that's why I went there first. And it was still one of the two tables was taken up, but one was open and I got to play with one of the, uh, I think, developers. And it was great. Uh, it's very asymmetrical characters. It has the stack mechanic from like Magic the Gathering, where you're kind of playing reactions on top of reactions. So a lot of things can happen in a single like card play. The gameplay is interesting in that you only have to hit the other player three times to win. But you can't like just directly punch them. You're like artists and dancers and things. And you're like sort of summoning things into being with these different mechanics based on your character. And it is like a setup to get a damage on somebody. But it feels really satisfying when you do it. Uh, No official solo mode. It seems maybe too complicated for me to do what I often do and design a solo mode for it. But uh, certainly for a 1v1 fighting game that looks beautiful and plays in a really cool way. I was super into this. And then uh, I also played Skyrockets. This is an upcoming one from Floodgate Games. It is very much a similar system to a game that I covered on the YouTube channel, which was, oh, crap, what was it called? Oh, Kites. In that one, you had a bunch of hourglasses and you were playing cards that would flip different colors of hourglasses. And the goal was to get through the whole deck without ever letting any hourglass run out. This maintains that same mechanic, except that now, first of all, you have like three Oh Crud We Messed Up tokens that let you flip a sand timer after it runs out. So it's a little bit more uh, lenient. It also has a ton of scenarios that had special rules. I think like 30 or 60 of them. And then finally, one sand timer is flipping down multiple times and you want it to run out. It's like the fuse for the fireworks you're trying to shoot off. So with that, I, I think it's better than kites. And I'm excited to play with my family. It seems pretty cool. That's a Skyrockets. Yeah, I love kites, so I'm excited to try that one. Yeah, I think you'll like this one better as well. That was like the sense I get. And then uh, one more I'll mention real quick, and then we can go back to you guys, is I got to play Conflict Princess. Conquest, Conquest Princess. So this is one that I'd played an earlier build of and didn't love. 
And then it went on GameFound and funded, but didn't make like a ton, ton of money. And now they're going to do a little expansion Kickstarter campaign for it, like a mini expansion, but also just to kind of get it to a wider audience. And I played it and man, they did a lot of work on it because man, was it a blast, like really good cooperative sort of adventure game. The theme is literally insane. Y- y- y'all want to hear the theme real quick? Go sure. Okay. So this is, <laughs> so you are uh space agents on a spaceship that can also travel through time and your power is fashion and you like wear different space suits and like the the fashion of your spacesuits give you like superpowers and magic powers and you're fighting against a guy who's not named Mugatu from Zoolander the Will Ferrell character but is kind of named Mugatu from Zoolander and he's like this fashion tyrant that's trying to control everybody and like he he takes your ship, which can transform into uh, a giant robot, kind of a la the SDF-1 from Robotech or from, uh, what, what was it called in Spaceballs? Like the Maid? Mega Maid. Mega, yeah, Mega Maid. Yeah, so it's basically like Mega Maid. So he like breaks your ship into pieces and you have to like get the ships back. So it's kind of like a campaign, although you can play it as one-offs as well. And then your characters can also like do a princess transformation like Sailor Moon where like you 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 superpower up and your outfit gets better and you like can do cool things. I don't know man, it, it was it's insane. But the component Yeah, you're geeking out a lot here. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I prefer my games to be a little bit more fantastical. Yeah, that's true. Less this based is, in reality. And also this one's been <laughs> done so many times, you know, like it's such a tried it's it's such a, a road game at this point. Yeah, it's like uh it's like zombies. Yes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but if you just get down to the mechanics, uh, they they amped up the cooperation a ton. They made the game seem a little bit less punishing than when I played it before, so I had more good feelings. A lot more options for like quick power ups, like you get like little temporary power up cars, and you also like unlock pets and stuff. Um, so yeah, I just had a really good time with it. The designer is like an awesome guy, and he's like clearly it, it reminded me of Henry a lot of Henry Audubon with Cosmoctopus Peter. Where like he's just saying stuff to you, and you're like you're insane, but I kind I'm kind of here for it because <laughs> you're so into it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I'm really into this one. I did agree based on this really good uh, play that I would do a preview for the new Kickstarter campaign. So certainly expect to see some Conquest Princess uh, coming on the channel at some point next year. Yeah, I mean we're running long, but I literally have no idea how to play the game after what you explained. You explained a lot of stuff that sounded like people were on acid the entire time they were designing it. You're, but, I mean, uh, it, it, you're, you're like I, moving I have no around. Idea how to play the game? You're, you're, you're <laughs> moving around a spaceship, and then you can also like teleport down to the planet. So it's like spaces. There are enemies going that you got to shoot. There's like a little bag building, like drawing mechanic for the combat. Uh, oh, you're see, also, now now you got me interested. Yeah, right? and like, like you're you're repairing. Crap, like, I'm sorry, you're repairing like the pieces, of, <laughs> like the the stations of your spaceship, and they each give you special powers. And then you also like have to fire the weapons at enemies. So I don't know. Like I might compare it to something like the Captain is Dead or Space Alert, or but like not with the programming. Like you do have turns. So and you're actions. running around on your ship trying to like do crew things to shoot down other ships. Yeah, it depends on the scenario. The one we were playing, they had invaded our ship, but we also were trying to save an ally from a planet while he was getting shot at by people. So we had to like teleport him, fix our ship, fight off the enemies, uh level up to activate our princess powers to teleport the ship. So yeah, it's it's very scenario based. The scenario is going to be pretty different, but the core gameplay is kind of like actions mixed with a little bit of bag building and like bag drawing mixed with like using special powers on cards, that kind of stuff. All right. That's sounds pretty cool. That's, uh, that's so something. Jerry, it's what it sounds like you were about to say. 
no, 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 that, no, that sounded cool. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> no, that's I where was, he says, uh, Oh, that sounds interesting. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That, no, that sounds more than I, I like when you said bag, building. you had me at bag building. So I mean, very light bag building. It's just, you put tokens in to make your odds better in combat. And then you're drawing the tokens out to shoot at people. So d- don't get too excited about the bag building. That's certainly not the highlight of the game. Gotcha. All right, Jerry, what did you do during this time after we played Nucleum? Uh, I eventually went into the convention hall, wandered around, didn't really play any games or any demos. Um, really, it was just looking around, see if there was anything that really caught my eye. And nope. <laughs> <laughs> not not right. for that walkthrough. Well, well, I had I had a more interesting time. I went and talked to the Dead Reckoning people. They have a new Kickstarter coming back out. That's a game. If you've been listening lately, you know I've really enjoyed my couple plays. And actually, we'll get to that in a minute because Jerry and I played that that this evening. Um, but I talked to him about the expansion and some of the stuff they had coming out. That looked kind of neat. Um, I didn't get into too many details, but um, if you know anything about the combat there, they have some critical. Uh, which basically like you're dropping cubes down like this cube tower thing. Although not like old school cube towers where like cubes get stuck. This is just a ramp for your cubes to get thrown onto a board and they fall on different spaces. Well, now some of those cubes will have like critical sides on them. So if the critical side comes up, you get to like drop more cubes down the tower. Basically they took that combat and they're like, okay, you want like randomness in your game? Let's, let's, kick it up to 11 for me it was great i think it was one of the negatives for jerry for dead reckoning uh but we'll get to that in a minute but the next thing i played was the gloomhaven game buttons Ah, and buttons and bubbles and bugs buttons and bugs buttons buttons and bugs which i have no idea i guess the enemies are bugs i don't know so so the idea is kobolds or whatever they didn't (laughs) like at the demo table they didn't have people reading the narrative but the idea peter is that you have been shrunk down like honey i shrunk the kids style to the size of a Got bug. It. So you are fighting. Well, that's like, a modern reference. Thanks, Mike. I, you couldn't reference a movie from the last 20 years. Or I don't something. know. What's another recent <laughs> Ant-Man movie, man. Yeah. Okay. Ant-Man. Ant-Man is a better. Good job. But I, I like Rick Moranis better than I like Paul Rudd, although I like them both. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that, that's the theme. But what do you think of it, Peter? It was cool. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's exactly what I would want from gloomhaven at this point that is exactly my reaction (laughs) first of all it's a 20 dollar price point the missions are on cards i mean this is something you and i have like looked into designing and and kind of played with in the past a little bit too is just smaller form factor they have like little miniatures of all the characters which were adorable but you're basically playing on the back of a card on the front side is like the story the mission or whatever and then it's like all right flip it over and fight and the thing that mike likes best about it i am sure of this is to represent the enemies they are colored cubes (laughs) so you have like a colored cube like you have two different colors and one of them represents each enemy they got little health dials but your card play is very similar to gloomhaven except instead of having like seven eight cards you have four cards but as you use a card it flips from its a side to its b side and then after you use it again on its b side that's when you actually discard the card and then very similar to gloomhaven once you've discarded a certain number you're going to take either a short or a long rest you're going to put you know discard one card forever uh which is i guess kind of like discarding two cards the more and more i think about it so it does speed things up a little faster you're going through your deck a little faster because of that well but there's also no cards that remove themselves from your deck like in the original gloomhaven so i think that kind of makes up for it you know what i mean well there was with the character that i had oh interesting i didn't see that 
the character I had also had the ability to get their discard pile back. It's like the Dreamweaver from the regular game, I guess. There's some kind of spellcaster character that has that ability, but I'm a moron. And like, I took a short rest and I discarded that card and I didn't take the health damage <laughs> to keep it back because I didn't realize that was the card that had my draw your discard pile back. So uh, it, I had an exciting finish, but I did end up winning uh, the first mission. But I don't know. It was just kind of fun. Like I like the fact that you only had really four options on your turn. Uh, but then part of the, the, the options of it was not just what cards you wanted to play now, but like what you wanted to flip to and what was on the other side. I don't know. It, it was a quick game that played in, you know, probably 30 to 45 minutes for one scenario. There's like 20 some scenarios in there, but again, each of them is individual cards. You could play it on, I'm sure an airplane tray table because you literally are just playing on the back of a card and yes, you're rolling dice and you need space for other stuff, but not that much space. So, and it's all in this tiny little box for $20. And I thought the gameplay was great. I think it's what people like about Gloomhaven. And again, with even for me, one step more, which is what's on the back of these cards again, like what am I going to be able to do next turn? Like, I, I don't know. It, it felt really good and quick setup. Cause again, you're not set up a board. It's just, you know, the map's already there on the back of the card. Um, you're not looking for miniatures cause they're just little cubes. Get the teal one and the blue one this time. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like it all felt good to me. So I have a couple questions. So you said there's dice. Yeah. So that's the part yes. I was going to talk about. Cause I really loved this as another change from Gloomhaven. So, Instead of having a deck you draw from to modify your attacks, instead you're rolling a die and it has three different faces that show up twice. So it's really like a one third chance of each of them showing up. They're fudge dice. Yeah, 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 fudge. Good call. Yeah, it's got the zero, the plus, and the minus. And for each row, you have like a, a combat modifier card with rows on it and three columns. And for your current row, because you move down the rows, it'll show you what a minus will give you, what a plus will give you, what a zero will give you. And after you attack that time, then you move it down one. Now it shows you what a plus and minus and a zero will give you. So it kind of dynamically changes what your odds of like gaining and losing damage are. And you still level it up. It's just now you level up that entire card instead of like changing up little mini cards for your combat deck. And what I loved most, because there's another thing that I don't love about base Gloomhaven, is that you only had one row that had a times two and you only had one row that had a miss. And it's only a one third chance, but you know when you're on that row. So like, I certainly yep. did not use my big awesome attack that I needed to connect with on my missed turn. And you better bet, believe I used it on my double turn. I happened to roll a double. I was like, yeah, let's go. Did like 10 damage to somebody. But yeah, so I, I like that. And then similarly, the enemies activate with the exact same mechanic where they have three possible actions they can take and you roll for them. And just like with Rove, I, at this point in my life, appreciate having a limited subset of actions an enemy can take and having them represented in a clear way. Uh, you know, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn does that as well. Sword and Sorcery, not Sword and Sorcery, Madara does that as well. So I liked it here too. Like knowing that, okay, where I am, only one of their three activations can get me. I, I like that sort of strategic thinking a bit more than like Gloomhaven's kind of uh, more random deck where it's harder to kind of memorize what they could be doing and it's more obfuscated. Well, and you can also see their initiative number. So when you decide what cards you're playing, you haven't seen what their initiative number is going to be yet, but you know, again, what the possibilities could be. So you pick your two cards, just like in base Gloomhaven, and then you're going to roll a dice and they have, you know, a minus, a null and a plus symbol. And they're going to do one of those three actions on their turn. 
And like Mike said, they have their own track. So it's not like you can make it so that they get the miss spot and then it moves down one. No, they have their own track uh, of modifiers and you have your own track of modifiers. So um, yeah, no, I mean, it, but the, it, they still had a lot of the complication and a lot of the stuff from Gloomhaven, right? If you're using a ranged weapon, you're adjacent to them. You get um, disadvantage where you roll two dice and you take the worst of the two and you can get advantage and you can strengthen yourself and you can do all these things. Oh, the other part that was neat and, and one of the parts that frustrated me or not frustrated me, but it's just hard to remember in Gloomhaven for me is the elements. Yeah. And the way the elements worked here is very clever, which is whatever, like some of the cards you have in your hand will have elements on one side or the other. And as long as you can see those elements, whether it's on the board, whether it's in your hand, it doesn't matter. Then you can activate those elements when you're playing. And so sometimes I had like two elements in my hand and I could, you know, but I had three triggers for elements. Like I had one that was like fire, one that was ice and one that could use any element. It's like, okay, where do I want to use my fire? Where do I want to use my ice? And then, you know, which one am I going to use for the any element? If I even do that activation. Yeah. It became like part of the hand management puzzle. And I really like that too. So yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been kind of off Gloomhaven. Jeez. Jerry got Frosthaven. We played like one mission and then we haven't touched it again. Like, yeah, we're, we're, spoiler frost statement's not on our top of the year list because we haven't played it enough to do a review on it um (laughs) but yeah uh i i I had forgotten like there's so much stuff in the way with gloomhaven for me especially when it's not jaws of a lion it's not quick to set up i'd forgotten how much i love that core card play and buttons and bugs is like nothing but that core card play so i'm i'm 100 here for it jason's getting a review copy for our channel so i'm buying a copy of it 100 i'm definitely gonna play this more so how many classes does it come with? I think I saw six. I played as the Crag Heart, which had been yeah six or eight, I think. Yeah, I mean, for $20, the price point is ridiculous. Uh, so that one they said is coming in March. I talked to Isaac at the booth after I had done, been done playing it. I think he said, you know, February, March, something like that. It's going to be available in retail. So, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer for me. Now, it's solo only. That's, I guess, the one negative. I don't even know if it's a negative. I like Gloomhaven best solo too, <laughs> for me at least. Well, touche. But I mean, you certainly could play it the way they played it there, which is just give different people different characters. Yeah. As long as you have enough fudge dice to do it, like it doesn't really matter. Like we would just wait to do the enemies turn together, like, but we'd each have our own enemy health dial or whatever. So yeah, I mean that that part didn't matter. I guess you'd need extra health dials, but. You know, if you got extra health dials and, and enough dice to do it, like it was just, it worked fine, you know, where you're just flipping one enemy activation and then you guys are doing your activations. So no word about the controversy about there being no rule book. Oh, yeah, box. yeah. So, so yes, this, this is something to note. Uh, they Well, hold on. That's overstated because I actually looked through the rule book. No, so they have a, yeah, so they, just, just to clarify what's, what they're talking about. If you haven't heard, uh, they recently announced, and this was not ever communicated from what I understand in the original like campaign that there would not be a full rule book in the game. Cause it's a very small box. Instead, they are only putting a like learn to play basics rules in the box. And then they'll have a scannable code to get an online version of the rules. I don't, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it now that I've played it. So the reason they did that is because as Peter said, it is like 90% or more the rules of Gloomhaven. Like, they didn't really remove like, yes, enemies activate a little bit differently. And like your damage deck is different, but like all the conditions are in there. 
Power play works exactly the same. Initiative works the same. Movement, pulling, pushing, you know, the retaliate damage, like all that stuff is exactly the same as in Gloomhaven. So it would be a way larger rule book. At least this is the justification they're giving. So, you know, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it, but I don't know about you, Peter. I played the game for about five minutes and I was like, yep, this is Gloomhaven. And since I played Gloomhaven, I didn't even like need a rule book. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I did look through the rule book because I, I had heard you say that the day before and I got had the advantage of going in the next day and everything's there. I mean, well, clearly everything is not there because they're not calling it a rule book. They're saying everything is not there. It is a learn to play. I mean, I guess it's similar to like when I play Keyforge. If you look at the Keyforge rulebook, there is rules online, right? But it's more of a clarifications and FAQ and that kind of a thing. I feel like there, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't need a full rules explanation because I have also played Gloomhaven enough in the past to understand what was going on. But like all the new rules and stuff, I felt like were there. I don't know if I could have learned from it, but. I feel like any question I had, I looked in the rule book and it was there because we had three people, like you said, playing solo. So it was a little bit of downtime and my turns were faster because, you know, they were not moving as quickly as I was. So I, I was literally looking through and reading the rule book as I was playing and like any question I had was answered there. So I feel like it's, you know, Magic the Gathering, they kind of have a learn to play or like a mini rule book too, right? It's not 100% of the tournament rules, the timings, all that, but I feel like it's most of it's in there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm saying it like I don't think it's a problem anymore. Doesn't mean I, I fully sympathize with people who do find it a problem. But yes, for me, it is going to be a non-issue 100%. You are both coming from the perspective of people who had played an awful lot of Gloomhaven. Absolutely, absolutely. Although you know me, I don't, I couldn't play Gloomhaven right now. Well, you, I, you know how a lot of it works. <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, we played a lot of scenarios of the base Gloomhaven, and then... Yeah, I mean, you played even more that, and then we played through the entirety of Jaws, Jaws of the Lion. So, I mean, you've played an awful lot of Gloomhaven. Uh, if you were coming at that without sure. having ever played Gloomhaven before, that it might be a different story. Is what I'm, what I'm. Yeah. At. All right. To be fair, but honestly, I'd rather play this than Gloomhaven or Frosthaven, even Jaws of the Lion right now. What one hundred percent for me as well. Just just where I am in my life, where I am in my time, and also just kind of my preferences for games right now. Well, and it's the kind of thing, if you're traveling or whatever else, like you can definitely take this with you. It is very portable and they, they cram a whole lot in that box. Just not a rule book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the last thing I played at the convention proper was Ironwood. This game is amazing. You know, I'm doing a video on the channel and I actually, by the time this is up, my video will already be up. So, hey, I'll spoil my number one game of the con. Okay. On that video. So this is a uh it's Mind Clash. What kind of games does Mind Clash make? Just to remind you they're like I mean, heavy games. They play anachrony. Heavy, Euro. yep. heavy heavy Euros with some pretty good theme, right? Tricarian. So this, Tricarian, this one Cerebria. This one is a 1v1 tactical, like skirmish, area control kind of battle game that with full rules teach, Jeremy Howard and I played an entire game with the rules teach in 50 minutes. Okay. And it's, so it's asymmetric factions. It's always the same two factions. You've got this metal faction. that's kind of like trying to take control of this mountain forest region. And these kind of like woodland people who are trying to fight them off in like ambushes. They have a totally different deck. You play three cards a turn for actions. You have three cards that you get back every turn, but then you're drawing extra cards that are more powerful. 
when you have combats, you also use the exact same cards to control how much attack and defense you have. And of course, the better cards have the best combat and defense stats. So you are deciding whether you use cards for their attacks or their defense. Uh, you're both trying to pursue these uh, asymmetric goals, but trying to stop each other. Uh, the archers, like the the metal people are like sending this drill around to drill up more resources they need to get more units and to complete their objective. The other people can raid the drill and steal from it if they are successful enough in their attack. This game was friggin' great. Really good card choices. Really fast play. You alternate playing a single card, so turns never take more than like a minute. The combat was exciting and tense, but also incredibly fast to resolve because it's literally just each play of cards secretly, flip them over, that's what happens. The asymmetry was great. I really want to see how the other faction feels to play. The components already look beautiful, even though it's not coming out for at least like half a year. They have the... It reminded me of Spirit Island a bit in that the metal faction is entirely like metal coins, metal pieces, metal units, and the wood faction is all wood. So that was kind of neat. And it's supposed to have a solo mode. Now that I didn't get to try yet, but it has a solo mode for each faction where you can go against the other faction. So I I am, I mean, if this is my kind of game, I love quick 1v1 like skirmish kind of battle games, especially with asymmetric factions. And this one hit on all cylinders. I had a total blast. I did kind of dominate Jeremy a little bit, so that of course helped. <laughs> but yeah, I'm ultra excited for this. Like, like I said, my number one game of the con, I had literally never heard of it. I think they announced it on Friday or Saturday of the convention. And now I am so excited to play it. It, it looks like a uh, combination of a uh, Avatar and like a Studio the anime. Studio Ghibli. Studio. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like definitely. A combination of those. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call the art style like too anime ish. I think Avatar is a good pool. Yeah, especially like the cover art, but the art on like the cards was beautiful. I think the game's fully designed. I mean, it's it's just great. And this one, by the way. It's the same as this is their second game in their new line, which Astro was also part of, which are like quicker, lighter games that are going straight to retail. So this is not a crowdfunding game. When I say that, like, it'll be around like in March or April or May of next year, I mean, like, it'll be on shelves and you can buy it uh, at that time. Nice. All right. Well, I played a couple more games. One of them with Jerry. Did you play anything before Dead Reckoning, Jerry? Nope. All right. So I played... Uh, I got called by more people on Discord. Actually, we we got called that morning for somebody who wanted to play Flame and Fang. And so that's when I put the shout out that we were playing Nucleum at our hotel. That person didn't end up coming. Somebody else did. But then I met up with the person who wanted to play Flame and Fang. And the first game we played was not Flame and Fang because they had a friend with them who had already set up this game called Tiger and Dragon which is basically a card game, but it's played with like Mahjong pieces where it's very simple. Like you're basically just trying to get rid of the cards in your hand or tiles that are in front of you. It's tiles numbered one to nine. And there's one, one tile, two twos, three threes, four fours, all the way up to maybe it was eight, not nine. Uh, Yeah, it was only to eight. And so eight eights is the highest one. Odd tiles were red. Even tiles were blue. The only reason that matters is you have a tiger and a dragon. The dragon is red, basically trumps any red card. The tiger is blue. It trumps any blue tile you play. And basically what you do is you play a tile and then it's kind of like Uno, I guess, after that. The next person tries to match that tile exactly. So I guess not Uno because you can't play colors. But so if I play the two, there's only one other two at the table and maybe it was removed 
you know, cause not all, all the tiles are dealt out. So if nobody can play a two, then I get to put one of my tiles face down. So I get to get rid of a tile and then I play another tile. If somebody played a two, then they get the lead and they just play a, a tile and that's it. That's literally all the game is. And then you want to go out with a higher number if possible. So if you go out with an eight, you get more points than if you go out with like a two or a three or whatever. But if you go out with the one, like the one being the last tile in your hand, you win the game immediately. It was fun. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, very quick, very, you know, it's, it's, it's card play. You have to have a lot of the card play tropes like, okay, I'm going to lead this to try to do this. And then I'm hoping to get the lead back if I do that. So, um, yeah, it, it was fun. It was pretty random. The guy who had played it a lot ended up winning in the end, which makes sense. Cause you know, that as with every card play or card game, there's, you know, some subtleties to it. Then I demoed Flamin or I played Flame and Fang with them and had a great time <laughs> and they did as well. They really enjoyed it. So that was good. Again, I think one of them was a backer um, and the other one wasn't just like the first group we had played and yeah, had a, a great time doing that. And then Jerry and I played Dead Reckoning and I enjoyed that game as always. And Jerry did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Dead Reckoning has an identity problem like the Euro, the Euro part of Dead Reckoning where you're moving the resources and, and, you know, exploring and, you know, trying to use your cards most efficiently. Uh, that part was good. Uh, but it seems like it's, it's sort of hook or it's gimmick is that uh, cube ramp thing that you described earlier, where you're, you know, putting the cubes on the ramp and they roll out on this thing to for the combat part. And I, that fell flat for me, uh, basically because I was looking for the game to have more, combat because the combat looked like it was it would be fun but the randomness of the of the combat sort of disincentivized you from engaging in it so i think we played the game and the game probably took what 90 minutes to two hours with the the rules explanation to me sure. um, so it wasn't it wasn't overly long but i think we had what like four battles the entire game four or five and i think you had some bad luck because i think you were even upset with the luck and to be fair, neither of us really made combat ships. Like, I think part of the reason it felt more lucky is because we were both going in with like two or three combat power. It wasn't like somebody went with seven to somebody else's two, right? I think we would have seen a lot more certainty. But yeah, if you're well, going we did in, go, with a f- we did have a combat where I had five and you had two and you ended up winning. Well, didn't I get to drop two cubes though? Wasn't that, didn't yeah, I have a power to do that? Like, I had a card to drop two cubes and you, had, I mean, it. It was just too random. Like I, I was never going to go out and and fight you because whether I'd win or not would be is essentially a fifty fifty proposition, regardless of the of the cubes. And I was I was looking for a game where you'd go around and you'd upgrade your ship and you'd engage in combat. And while you can do that, that didn't seem to be the way to win. I was looking for something more like um, there's a very old Days of Wonder game called Pirates Cove. Yep, I still have it. Yeah, uh, I do too. Uh, where you would upgrade your ship, and then you know you might end up fighting other players, and there was usually a combat around, uh, basically, as if you went to the same place. I think I was looking for something more like that, only with that cube ramp as the as the hook, but it didn't play like that at all. And so it, I'm not sure it's it's a bad game. I think it just didn't meet my expectations of what it was, and it ended. I ended up playing it more like a euro than an Ameritrash pirate game. Well, and I think it's because of who you and I are also. 
we're not necessarily into conflict and combat. Like, I think if one of us had gone out and started an arms race, like it, it could have played and would have played very differently. You know, we weren't going out specifically seeking. And, and just to give an idea, this game is you're moving around a board to like place cubes in areas, pick up loot, kind of take it back to your your home space. And you can play the whole game doing that. And that's what Jerry and I did, focusing on sales, focusing on getting around, placing cubes down, um, focusing on upgrading your islands so they have better defense to discourage people from attacking them. But you could also play it where you're going out, getting attack ship cards, getting uh, cannons that help you. You could upgrade your ship with more cannons. Um, We weren't doing a lot of that. We were doing more of the Euro part of it. And I think partially because Jerry didn't like the combat and I wasn't in any rush to get the combat. I kind of tried to bully it a little bit by by upgrading some of my cannon cards and getting some stuff so you never knew if I had attack cards in my hand or not, because you can hold on to cards between turns. But the big part of the game for me is upgrading your cards. So every turn you get to level up one of the cards that's in your hand at the end of the turn. And as you're going around, if you have barrels on your ship, you can buy upgrade cards because there are these like clear sleeve cards, similar to Mystic Veil and games like that, where you're upgrading your cards as well. So you could upgrade and make, you know, pretty neat cards and pretty neat stuff. And I don't know. I just, for me, it's the card leveling and the card upgrading that I like about the game, along with the cool piratey theme. I don't know. I, I just like figuring out the Euroe puzzle of how do I buy the cannons that I want? How do I get to this island and take it over this turn? Like that kind of stuff makes me happy. And I don't know. I don't mind the randomness of the combat. Although to be fair, I think I got very lucky and won most of them. And maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much. But even in games like where I didn't win most of them, I, it never bothered me as much as it did you. And then here's the punchline. You ended up winning by a substantial amount, even with you had some pretty bad luck with your exploration. You had some pretty bad luck with the combats and you still ended up winning. Oh yeah. I won. I won zero combats. You won all the combats and I still won the game, which is wait. I mean, Okay, uh, but I was hoping for more combat. And while the game does offer, like, you can upgrade your ship to make you make it better at combat, but I, I personally thought pretty early on that those upgrades didn't, the effort you had to go to get those upgrades didn't translate to your ability to win combats. And therefore, I just didn't do it. I ended up playing it as a Euro, which, you know, I was looking for more of a Pirate's Cove, Merchants and Marauder experience, and it ended up being more of a end decker. Uh, experience to me if there's an yeah. old, there's an old game reference well, i mean i mean they they understand how random the combat is though because the penalty for losing combat is literally you take one damage yeah and, and ultimately the combat seemed seemed totally inconsequential it very inconsequential that's the whole point like i mean destroying somebody's building which they spent a couple turns saving up for is more annoying i feel like than losing a ship combat true um because he even when I mean, the whole point of combat to me is to get stuff because a lot of those spots are pillage spots where you just get free stuff. And sometimes you'd lose the combat, but end up with more f- stuff on your ship than the other person ended up getting. Yeah. And that, that happened to me. Yeah. And, well, but usually that's the way it's going to work. Right. So that's where the randomness swings, because the same spots that let you win the combat are not the same spots where you get a lot of goods. So if you lose the combat you are very likely to get a lot of goods. So you almost 
don't care sometimes because again it's one damage who cares yeah right like it it was another game that like i had mentioned earlier with the red raven games um my classic example this is above and below where the fun part of the game i thought was going on the adventures in the in the big narrative book doing that was the most fun but if that's what you did it was so random you were almost sure to lose the game because the game was ultimately a euro game same i felt the same way with dead reckoning where the fun part looked to be like the combat and the piratey, you know, run around attacking things and doing that. That looked to be the fun part to me, but that wasn't the way you win the game. But to win the game, it was a Euro, right? And yeah. I, I, that doesn't mean it's a bad game. It's just, it was a, a disconnect from my expectations that ultimately I found a little disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I did like the combat still. And I, uh, for me, the fun part is the, the card upgrading. Uh, and deciding like the tactical puzzle of how do I get to this card upgrade? How do I do what I want to do on the board? Like that kind of stuff is more fun to me. I do have one rule that the more I play it, the more I dislike, which is the exploration thing. But I may just take that out because it's like the first person to explore five tiles basically gets a free five points at the end of the game. And like the first player is just going to get that unless like me, you intentionally don't get it. Um, <laughs> like just because you think it's a stupid rule. So I, I don't know. That's, that's literally my only negative with the game that I would literally, I'm going to house rule out and never play with that space. That just won't be one of the options. I, I will say the card crash. All right. All right. Well, guys, let's, we, we need to stop doing a full review of dead reckoning. Cause we were literally almost out of time, but uh, a few quick things I'll throw out. I played uh, red dragon in the original red dragon in. I had actually a lot of fun with it, even though it is a random, Silly take that fest enough so that I bought a copy that I'm going to play with my family. We'll see if my kids like it. Uh, I guess the theme of getting each other drunk is not entirely appropriate. I was pretending they're drinking like, you know, soda. And then, uh, yeah. And then also a, a cooperative one that I really enjoyed that I think I'll be getting a review copy of eventually is what is it called? Uh, Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard. I think there was a Jekyll versus Hyde or Dracula versus Van Helsing competitive trick-taking game from the same group, I believe. But this is a two-player-only cooperative trick-taker along the lines of Sale and Fox in the Forest duet. I found it a little bit more complicated than both of those, but in a good, meaty, yummy way. I I won't say much more about it because we are, again, almost out of time. But uh, I I talk about it a bit more in my video if you want to hear more about it. And again, I'll probably be doing a review of it down the line here. But really enjoyed that. That was Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard, two-player trick taker. Uh, Anything else quickly I want to mention from Saturday night before Jerry gives his opinion on the convention as a whole, which I know he wants to do? Let's not trash the convention at this point. We know Jerry doesn't like it. He hates lines. We get it. He's talked about this every year. I mean, (laughs) go back and listen to last year or the year before. His his opinion hasn't changed. Yeah, it's chaos. I prefer the Gen Con system of tickets. Yes, and I, I don't do any ticketed events anyway. I think that's really only for RPGs, pretty much, right, Jerry? In general? No, for Gen Con? No, everything. No, no, ticketed. I'm talking about for, no, for PAX. Oh, well, nothing's ticketed at PAX. You just have to be online and sign up for it morning of, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so definitely more annoying ticket. for RPGs, which is a major reason Jerry goes to these. I just go to demo tables, and I found PAX a billion times easier to just like sit down and play games than Gen Con, and I... Have, yep. have no, except that it, the only reason I would want to go to Gen Con again is because more people that I like and know are there, and more people from our Discord and stuff are there. But apart from that, it's farther away. It's bigger than I like. It's harder to play games. So I drastically prefer PAX to Gen Con in basically every way. Well, but they release more games at Gen Con than sure. they do at PAX. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, but there's more games for Messin, so it's not like they're released released there, but their US release is at PAX. I mean, the first at least major convention. No, I'd say that's probably board game geek. Oh, BGG God, yeah, anyway. that's fair. Yeah, but you're not there, so it doesn't matter. This is the first place you see it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, quickly, Mike, game of the con. Oh, I already said it's Ironwood, uh, but here, uh, my other one. Oh, I know my other one is actually the one game we didn't talk about that we all three played at the final day of the con. Uh, Great Western Trail, New Zealand, my number two. I uh, love that game more and more each time I play it. Best version of Great Western Trail, which is already a Euro that was near the top of my Euro list. I think that game is excellent. Yeah, I, I I don't feel the need to play the base anymore. No, no, it's it's New Zealand or nothing at this point. No, I'm literally trading away my brand new copy that I bought like a month before we played New Zealand of the base game because I think New Zealand's that much better. No, I agree that one's great. For me, it was Nucleum. You could probably tell by my description. I don't, like Kudenhor, I think was a very good game, but after I played Nucleum, I was like, there, there's no way I would play Kudenhor again before nucleum like two economic games two euro games like and i'd play nucleum 100 times out of 100 maybe i mean they're both first impressions right so i I would like to play them both at least one more time but nucleum really has me excited to get back to it and play it again so for me definitely game of the con yeah and i'd go i'd also go with nucleum but close second probably twilight struggle red sea and then probably kinfire delve those three were probably my favorite we did play Arc Nova as well, uh, at least part of Arc Nova with the new Marine expansion on Saturday night. But we didn't really get far enough. It was late and we had to call it. Well, I, had to I mean, it, it doesn't it feel different, right? That's the one thing I'll say about that expansion is if you like Arc Nova, it's just more stuff. Yeah. Different type well, of I mean, unique actions are, are more interesting, but I don't think we get a, got a chance to explore them really. Yeah. I mean, to me, it felt like I, you could throw it in. And there's not much difference in teaching the game. I guess. Yeah, I, yes. I didn't think it's that expansion doesn't does not make me think it's a game that you need to play the base game first. You could play it from the expansion from the beginning. I mean, I think you just leave out the unique actions, right? Like, and even we did not do that, and Steve still didn't have a problem picking up on it. But if it's somebody you're worried about picking up on it, like if I was playing with my family, I would leave out it. So. There's five actions you get a turn. Basically, you get to draft at the beginning three unique ones and you get to keep two of them that change like your animal action or your, you know, building action or whatever else in a minor, minor way, you know, just to give you a little bit of a unique feel, but honestly, not necessary for me. But but yes, that game is still great. Still love it. All right. And you heard it here first. I like Great Western Trail more than Jerry and Peter. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love that game. Yeah. I mean. Oh, like I liked it, but we played that before, um, so I didn't really. Well, yeah, no, that, that is fair. Okay, yes. Well, I mean, again, Ironwood's my my actual favorite of the con. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, this was a long one, but I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have another uh, big episode coming up in a few more weeks for our end of the year wrap up, reviewing all the games we covered the entire year and ranking them. But thanks. Peter. Well, we'll probably do Earthborn Rangers before that yes, yes. and then do our game of the year right after that, I would assume. Yeah, I, th- so, I think that's right. So the the best of the year will probably come out right around the first episode in January, last one, December or something like that. All right. So look forward to that. But uh, thanks, everybody. And thanks, Peter and Jerry, for going to the con again. Yep. Great seeing everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. 
Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey everybody, this is a special episode. Peter and I are here with our... Hold on, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Why can you not watch a fucking game while we're recording the podcast, Peter? Relax. All right, I'm starting over because you went into because I usually say and Jerry, and you just went into a f- diatribe before I got to introduce everybody. Oh, that, so, that's why your that your up? game turned on. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the hockey game. That's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I like whiskey. I like Kutnahora. Nucleum. <laughs> that's not a hat. <laughs>